Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today, a little bit different. We are going to play something that's already happened. We have with us the EVP of Global Customer Success and Strategy at Salesforce, Niracha Techakunavud. I want to make sure I got that name right. Got it right? Yes, you did. That was awesome, Albert. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So um, my role at Salesforce is I work a lot with our customers. I actually run customer success, which is our post-sales customer care organization that makes sure customers get value from everything they do with Salesforce. And I was so psyched to have this conversation with two people from very different industries with very different backgrounds. Tony Wells, who's the chief brand officer at USAA, which is a financial services company that serves military, and Michael Smith, who's the CIO at the Estee Lauder companies. So a great conversation, two very different industries, financial services and consumer goods, and two very different backgrounds, technology and non-technology. So there you have it. We had this conversation for another show, but we just felt it was so compelling. We wanted to bring it to our IT Visionaries audience. Everyone, give it a listen. I hope you enjoy. You're about to hear three experts in customer success, all from different backgrounds. Have a great conversation. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. Tony and Michael, thank you for being here with us today. We are here to help create a column called Cross Pollinate, where our goal is to really break down the silos and start these conversations between executives who may not have, you know, as, as everyday choice and opportunity to learn from each other. So thank you. I'm going to pose the first question to you, Michael. What can non-technology executives learn from your role as the CIO at Este? What are the misconceptions you find? Well, you know, I think that uh, one of the things that they could uh, learn from my role is just how important technology really is uh, for everything that we do, right? The, the importance, and particularly with COVID, uh, it has increased significantly the role of technology for both tech and non-tech companies, right? Whether in, in for consumers, both in a professional use case and a personal use case. And so accordingly, I, I would encourage non-technology executives to really think deeply about how technology might not just change and disrupt the industries that they work in or the firms in which they operate, but, but even, even just the small day-to-day responsibilities that their teams have. Uh, you know, a lot of times we, we think about large industry disruption, but the, the role that uh, a CIO and a technology organization can bring uh, to the organization is just thinking about how do you optimize those day-to-day responsibilities? How do you challenge what you do day-to-day that creates something new? I love that. Now, Tony, you lead brand at USAA, so a huge, broad role. What about you? You are not from a technology function. How, how do you work with your colleagues in IT? And, and are you collaborating in, in all the ways possible as the way Michael kind of laid out the role of, uh, of technology in kind of our current world? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting challenge that we all have at USAA. One of our strategic imperatives is accelerating technology. We know 
that it can help bring our brand, which is an all digital financial services brand to, to our 13 million members. My belief is that we need to demystify some of this a little bit. I really would like technology partners, and they do at USA, to help us bring it to kind of plain speak. There's been a lot of articles written around how the marketing or the brand function is controlling more and more of IT budget. But we know that the IT experts have the knowledge about how to implement this. So I think it's collaboration. I know in our cases, we have some joint agile teams that are working side by side because we're on a MarTech transformation. And I just like the idea of side by side versus I think when I first started in the brand function, IT would go do something, roll out a new website, bring a new technology, and then there'd be this big unveiling and it'd be, you know, here it is. Uh, And so I like the idea of side by side development and, you know, knowing that technology is so important to brands now and the speed at which the technology is changing really requires that deep collaboration. I love hearing about the collaboration. It sounds like it is something that has developed over time as uh, technology becomes more critical. And of course, you mentioned the MarTech transformation, Tony, which many of our customers are going through. So that's wonderful. Michael, two years ago, I understand you moved your IT team to this incredible state-of-the-art innovation hub in Long Island City. You know, unfortunately, we've had a rough uh, 15 months or so. And so all the setup for that close in-person collaboration that you put together, how have you managed in pandemic times um, to preserve that collaborative spirit, even though everyone is uh, working from home, from elsewhere, let's say? Yes, uh, definitely threw us a curveball. But I, but I can say from the start uh, of the pandemic, you know, we, we anchored ourselves in our ELC family values and, and made sure that we were guided by those values. And that, you know, that meant first and foremost, uh, focusing on the health and well-being of our employees, as well as our consumers, our partners, uh, communities. And so, you know, it's been, it's been over a year, I believe for all of us, that, uh, that we began, you know, remote work, just taking all of these uh, distancing measures. And, but it was important for us to maintain those close connections across the enterprise. And so you know, we, we were fortunate that we had laid the technology uh, foundation. Uh, we had the collaboration tools in place. And, uh, you know, really, as we made this, this flip uh, for the first time ever at DLC, at least, it was the first time that we'd go fully remote. And uh, we turned exclusively to virtual meetings. We doubled down on the use of collaboration tools and training, the high-touch training around that, so that, that people could continue continue to work together. So, you know, in the days really leading up to, the, to that decision to go fully remote, our team, the IT team, conducted hundreds, literally hundreds of high-touch training sessions uh, where we would meet with each brand or each region or each function and ensure that they could use the tools as effectively as possible. That included even within our own team. And so we've hosted thousands. Uh, I want to say it's over 3,000 large-scale town halls and webinars. We've seen almost a 1,600% increase in, uh, in use of video conferencing and, you know, just a tremendous effort to keep tens of thousands of employees connected. And, you know, we've also stepped up our concierge services, uh, really making sure that we had a team in place and a process in place that as people went remote, 
that we could rapidly respond to any issue that they had from a work from home uh, standpoint. So we, you know, we fast tracked any issues through our support desk and and to our uh, technology support for anything that was work from home so that we made this as smooth as possible for individuals. And, you know, we've, uh, we've continued to leverage those tools to make sure that we just stay connected with uh, everyone that are, and in fact, we've seen our, our productivity rise. Uh, We are delivering as you know, you, you would think that uh, with uh, massive kind of, new facility startup, new distribution facility startups, or new manufacturing facility startups, that you couldn't do that remotely. But uh, but we found ways to do that and uh, have continued to deliver. What are your future plans for the hub as, uh, you know, you imagine what the new normal will look like? First of all, we're we're thrilled to be in Long Island City. It's, a, it's an amazing location and an amazing facility. We will return to something that looks like a hybrid work environment. And we believe that that facility is laid out in the ideal format that, uh, that, that you can maintain health and safety, that it's going to look, it's going to look like from a, a layout standpoint with uh, dozens and dozens of conference rooms and collaboration spaces. Uh, it's going to look uh, like the type of facility of the future uh, where, you know, people may not be coming in the office and sitting in their desk or sitting at their, in their cube for hours and hours, but rather they're going to be in the office when they can work together in, uh, you know, in person on very specific programs, projects, initiatives, and, and activities. And we're excited to, to, to return when the time comes. And obviously, we will not do that before it's, uh, before it's safe for our employees. I love that intentionality. So, Tony, um, not only are you a former Marine, you also are in a, a digital financial institution. So between those two factors, how does that influence this whole collaboration um, theme that we're talking about here and building teams um, and, and getting teams to coalesce and, and function well? You know, it's, um, I think, a very interesting time that we're in. When I was in the Marine Corps, there was something called maneuver warfare. Um, and it was based on this concept of the OODA loop, which stands for observe, orient, decide and act. And the premise of it was the quicker you could do that, that whole revolution there, do that and do that and do that and, you know, continue to make corrections, the more successful you were going to be in, in, in battle or flying a plane or whatever. And so I think that was very, very evident once the pandemic kind of hit us. We're in the business of responding when things go bump in the night. As an insurance company, we have something called a unified command center. We were very fortunate to be tracking this as early as December. And so we could stand up pretty quickly and respond to our operations. But I also think there's this thing we've been saying at USA, which is COVID speed. The idea, again, of observing, orienting, deciding, and acting with greater speed. And I know there's been a lot written out there around how companies did their technology roadmap that might've had two or three years worth of work and they did it in you know two or three months. Um, because the idea of the uncertainty, the idea that get it green, not necessarily bright green and then move on, I think it was very liberating for a lot of folks who were very used to a lot of meetings and a lot of buildup. So we moved you know, thousands of employees from the office to home. We did a 
brand new TV spot in literally nine days, which we would have never thought we could do that showed empathy and what we could do to support our members in terms of empathy and in terms of uh, special programs that we put in for, for COVID. So it was, I think as concerned as we were during the time and the uncertainty and the fear, it was from my perspective, from a management perspective, it was really quite liberating just to be able to move that fast. And nobody was debating and saying, well, let's call one more meeting because we knew that we had to kind of move out. So I hope that we can keep some of that muscle memory in corporate America and at USAA, because I think ultimately the quicker you can respond to the marketplace, the better for your customers or in our case, members, so that they know that you're responding to an ever-changing environment. No, that, that's wonderful. So let's pivot a little bit and talk about the relationship between IT and brand, especially nowadays when, when consumers really build their loyalty for a brand in large part based on the digital experience. In fact, they, we kind of had no choice except the digital experience for a little bit now. So how are you specifically in your, your different teams collaborating today that are, are different from, you know, we talked a little bit about how collaboration has become better, but different from what you were doing, you know, five, 10 years ago. Um, maybe, maybe Michael, I'll start with you and then Tony, we can go to you. I think Tony hit on a, uh, a key point earlier, which was this idea of co-creation and, you know, not, not either developing some great technology and, and then trying to, to do a reveal of what it is or, or designing an entire business process and throwing it over the wall to, to implement from an IT standpoint. This, this idea of co-creation where, where you have the benefit of you know, defining and understanding the business strategy informed by what technology can enable and making sure that those two things work in sequence is, su- is super important. You know, COVID also has uh, really accelerated the way all brands, I believe, utilize technology. We've touched on this a lot today. You know, technology is uh, more pivotal than, than it's ever been, in, uh, in particularly for us and our growth strategy going forward. And so collaborating with our, each of our brands is, is critical. We've, we've developed new ways of working really in the last couple of years to ensure that we're driving the best omni-consumer experience. So as we operate uh, across different channels, it's important uh, that we work across uh, technology, our online channels, our data and marketing groups. And so we've created a new beauty tech team that is focused on new ideas that are rooted uh, really in the data that we have and the insights that we have to more effectively power the consumer experience. And you know, from there, our technology leads, each brand region and function has a technology lead that collaborates with that brand and regional leadership to execute the experiences and, and to make sure that they're authentic and that they're unique to each of the brands and that it's aligned to what is going to really going to be their desired consumer experience. And, you know, this model that's, that's really been put into place over the last couple of years and accelerated with COVID uh, have provided us an opportunity to really create a highly personalized consumer experience across really all channels that are mobile, that are digital, that are even in store, which is going to be especially uh, important in today's world where 
over this past year were physical testing and trying on products. You know, we're, our industry is a very high touch uh, industry. And that ability to do physical testing or trying on has not been available to our consumers. And so it's been particularly important to leverage digital uh, for us to maintain that luxury, high-touch experience uh, in this new digital world. And so it's, again, technology and digital is at the center of uh, the majority of our consumer experiences now. And, uh, and that wasn't the case five, six, seven years ago. And it's a, it's a change that, quite frankly, is is not going to go away. This shift, this shift, then you know, absolutely requires that that the technology teams, IT, and the brands are are completely in step and completely co-creating the way that Tony alluded to earlier. Uh, well, as a uh, as a as a beauty consumer and fan, I actually have appreciated the uh, the shift to digital over the last year and all the kind of innovations that have come along there in, in that whole uh, beauty space. So Tony, what about you in terms of your collaboration with IT and how, how it's changed from uh, you know, five, 10 years ago? Yeah, I think it's been a pretty radical change. And I'll give you a couple of examples. One, I think chief brand officers, chief marketing officers are now being approached directly by a lot of technology uh, applications, providers, vendors, and if you've ever seen that map, there's like more than 8,000 technology opportunities to come to a brand or to a marketing function now. And, and so it's very, very complicated. We need to develop, I think, use cases that suggest that the technology will work. The idea that IT and, and uh, the brand function are collaborating on a sandbox where they can go test and learn and pilot to look at something. And I, I think this whole MarTech space, ComTech, compliance tech, reg tech, everybody's got a tech, is now setting it up so that you can do a point solution versus having to bring in some big monolithic kind of one size fits all, and you can plug and play. And I really think that that has dramatically changed the space for the good. And so our technology team is partnering with us we do a monthly um, review of everything that's happening in the technology space with uh, myself and the IT leader. And then our CEO is doing it on every 60-day pace where he wants to know the details. And it's actually going all the way up to the board in some cases where we have 21 efforts that we're trying to modernize our business. So there is a lot more interest from the boardroom on down on how things are happening. And again, I think the idea that the chief brand officer in our case is looking at the business case for installing the, the new technology, the OPEX and CAPEX implications and the managing of those budgets and engaging directly with technology providers. I, I would suppose that maybe, Michael, that it, you could do that as a, a negative because everybody's calling the, the, the chief brand officer, the chief marketing officer, say, hey, I have a great technology solution for you. And you know we're, we're giving our IT partners more help along the way. But I I actually think it's a great win-win and um, the speed at which this is moving is just, I, uh, I was talking to a executive the other day that was a former chief marketing officer and um, had retired. And he was basically saying, if, if you retired as a CMO five years ago, coming into the business now, you would have a huge learning curve because of how quickly things are moving. No, that that's a great point. We are um, in my team working on some, uh, 
a mini transformation and I meet with our, um, you know, our, we call our IT business technology and I meet with them twice a week. So I, it's, it's that important. And that co- co-creation is amazing. Yeah, it is. I, you know, Tony, I, you know, you mentioned about that being a, a negative of vendors. I don't view it as a, as a negative, but that all comes down to that relationship between your technology organization and technology leader and the chief brand officer, or chief marketing officer. And, you know, when that, when that, that kind of shared vision of what you're trying to accomplish is in, in place and uh, you're able to kind of feed and keep, keep both parties on the same page and, and lockstep in alignment, it's a powerful combination. And so um, I think it's very positive that we're getting, you know, different components, not, not traditionally non-technology related or non-digital roles into uh, much more digitally savvy and technology savvy. It's a tremendous step forward. Thank you. Thank you both. I wanted to shift a little bit to your people, like the people side of the business. We talked a little bit about how we're trying to maintain team collaboration in a remote work environment. And I'll pose this first one to you, Michael. I understand that your leader, Fabrizio Freda, has established a reverse mentoring program at Estee Lauder Companies where younger employees coach older employees on the issues that matter and the way, you know, the, the, the next generation works. Like, I think that's fascinating. What are the biggest lessons uh, you've learned from this intergenerational mentorship program? You know, the reverse mentorship program is, uh, it's just, it's incredible. It's a fantastic way for us to develop uh, leaders with uh, technology leaders, really with business acumen and a much deeper understanding of the consumers that we serve. It's a, it's really an important opportunity for our leaders across the organization to learn from that younger generation. And uh, that's obviously a core demographic of our, our consumers. This program, it allows us to see inside the minds of our consumers, primarily millennials and Gen Z. That enables us to think more strategically about how our technology meets our business needs. The most powerful innovation is always about meeting unmet needs and uh, and understanding the most innovative companies understand what consumers need sometimes even before, before they do. And certainly the beauty consumer today is moving fast. She expects us to keep pace and, and even to, to lead back to that point of sometimes identifying unmet needs that, you, that we're not even aware of. And programs like the reverse mentorship program, that lets us get a jump start on this and helps us stay connected with our consumer and better understand what our consumers value so that, that we can build the solutions that uh, simplify and enhance uh, their lives. You know, Tony, I'd love this, um, your perspective on this as well. Uh, Gen Z employees, you know, digital natives pretty much entering the workforce have such different expectations for a brand and its values than the older generations who've been in the workplace for a little bit longer. How do you manage that, get the voice of the digital natives in and reconcile these different philosophies and perspectives about brand and employees and and how everything meshes together? Yeah, I I think there are a couple of ways where this is all intersecting. And I think it's really around this DEI conversation that's been very prominent since uh, the murder of George Floyd. It's caused, I think, corporate America to kind of go look in the mirror around whether they were inclusive whether employees felt like they belonged, you know, uh, at the end of the day, everybody just wants to feel like they can live up to their full potential and that they're heard. 
And so for us, we've just, I think, doubled down on rejuvenating our DEI efforts. And that, of course, includes, you know, intergenerational sexual orientation, age, race, location, just everything. And we're measuring that. And we know that at the end of the day that there's going to be a war for talent and COVID redefined talent acquisition, in my opinion, in the last year, because the idea that you have to reside in an office, that you have to be in a certain city, that you have to work a certain time, a lot of that has gone out the window. And we're trying to adapt to that. And we're trying to reimagine what working at USA might um, be over the next five to 10 years. So I would say overall, we, uh, as we're talking about Gen Z, we know that the purpose of our brand, which is to ensure the financial security of the military community, has to resonate with them. They have to know that we're walking the talk, uh, whether it be around DEI, whether it be around ESG, you know, environmental social governance. They want to know that they're starting with a company that has the same values. And Michael talked about that earlier. They want to work for a company with values. And I think as we just go ahead again in corporate America, there's a lot of things that we're going to have to look hard at it, how we are approaching employees, health, safety, and, and welfare. Um, just lots to think about here. But at the end of the day, brand purpose, I think, is, is king and your ability to communicate that and make sure your employees, no matter what their age or background or whatever, feel like they belong and feel like they're heard and that they're included and that within your organization, they can reach their full potential. Yeah, I, I do think that assumptions are being challenged, that eyes are being open and that dialogue in and of itself and the dialogue and the focus, I think, are, are very key to, um, to going forward in the world. So we've talked a little bit about your individual experiences. Michael, you know, do you have something you'd like to learn from Tony and his experience at USAA? Yes. Well, first of all, uh, Tony, talking about your experience, uh, first of all, I want to thank you for your service. And I think USAA and uh, estate auto companies share a tremendous number of values, right? Uh, you know, our industries may look may look very different, but the commitment to the consumers that we serve, to our employees, to the communities that we work in is, you know, we're rooted in, in many of the same principles and values and in this idea of high touch service. We might use different words to describe it, but this idea of high touch service and serving our consumer is critical to both. And, you know, it's a direct to consumer is a very important channel for us at the SDLR companies, just as as it is at USAA. I'm interested in learning a bit more about the direct consumer strategy kind of pre-pandemic. How did it evolve and, and, and what are those implications going forward? So first of all, I will tell you, Michael, the best job I've ever had in the world was being a young lieutenant of Marines. Just unbelievable responsibility, but just uh, the idea of working as one team for a common goal and good is uh, you always are trying to capture that in a job that you might have. So it was the best job I've ever had. So it was uh, easy to do in many respects in terms of uh, mindset, morale, but uh, lots of folks go out every day and um, serve our country. And so they also deserve that, that recognition and credit. Relative to kind of the consumer or member experience, I would say we're just, I think, very, very focused on trying to build 
and service the community in a way that's mindful of not only their values, but just their lives. They're very, very different lives. And so whether it was the establishment of kind of the first 800 number that we did or a remote deposit capture, which is, allows you to take a picture of a check and send it in, or our digital claim experience now that allows you to take a picture of your car uh, where it may have, you may have had a fender bender and do the claim. We are trying to be mindful that a military member who's currently serving just is strapped for time. They're often deployed somewhere around the world. Their spouse is trying to keep the fort going and keep the, the family activity going. And so we're building that with that focus and, and mindset. And I think it's allowed us to be extremely successful over the last 99 years because it was established for the military, you know, by the military. And I think to your point you made earlier, as long as you approach it with the idea of reducing pain, reducing challenges that a customer has or meeting a customer or member need, staying really, really laser focused on that, I think will always allow a, a brand to be successful. That's great. Understanding your consumer, your member, I think is key to having that empathy. And same for you, Tony. What what would you want to learn from Michael and uh, his experience at the Estee Lauder companies? Well, I, you know, it's funny. I would imagine cosmetics is a very, very personal purchase. Like it's it's personal, whether it be the type of skin you have or your race, uh, skin tone, just features that you want to uh, accent as a as a consumer. So, I'd love to know, Michael, how you and uh, Estee are personalizing the digital experience, trying to bring humanity and empathy to it. Because when you go digital, it's sometimes hard to demonstrate empathy, to, to humanize the brand. And so maybe you can tell me a little bit about how you're going about that. Yeah, it's, um, you hit spot on. It, it is a very personal, it's a very personal purchase. And it's something that, you know, when we step back and we look at our values around inclusivity and, you know, the, the, the ability to, to meet very unique needs of many different consumers on something that's so personal you know technology has it over the last few years has has evolved you know whether it's the the ability to process massive amounts of data or the evolution of artificial intelligence the, these are things that let us do things that we never could have done in the past right in terms of personalization whether it's identifying kind of unserved unserved uh, needs uh, via the what we see across social media, across all the different conversations that we have with our consumers, uh, to be able to aggregate that and look at look and see where there's unmet needs, uh, to how we uh, recommend individual pro- products to, to a uh, consumer, whether it's you know on our brand sites or whether it's physically in a store. You know, we just have at our fingertips uh, a tremendous amount of, you know, really digital power to be able to personalize what that consumer needs. And so it's definitely a different world today than it was five years ago. And and technology is a key enabler to being able to create something that is, is very unique to each individual. And, and, and I only see that, I only see that scaling, you know, and again, it's everything from identifying where there are unmet, unmet needs in the market to specifically what are your preferences? What are the things that you're looking for? And how can we meet that needs with the, the best possible product? 
and also allowing us to expand what we offer. It's a new world. And I think as a, as a beauty consumer, this has to be a super exciting time. And, and the future is even brighter than, uh, than the present. I love the idea of, first of all, it being personal and then meeting, well, meeting needs that maybe your consumer doesn't even know about. You know, do you have a specific example you can share with us? It's some some innovation that's come about from that intersection of figuring out what their needs are and delivering that surprise and delight. Do you have do you have an example you can share with us? You know, I mean, because our our interaction with our consumers is is extremely high touch. You know, sitting down with a a beauty advisor or beauty consultant uh, and really getting to to know each uh, getting to know each other. There's a tremendous opportunity there to be able to con- connect specifically what somebody's looking for, maybe in one area. You know, we deal across multiple categories: skincare, makeup, fragrances, hair care. And you know, when we're working with a consumer, you know, something that's as personal as skincare. Just uh, I look at something like uh, what we've done with uh, Clinique Reality, uh, clinical reality for Clinique. Uh, where we can analyze uh, the skin and make a specific personalized recommendation for their regimen, as an example. And, and that's, you know, that's something that uh, we can put real science behind and continue to learn from, from that. You know, the more, the more that we work with that, the more that we learn and the more precise that we are. And it fits in so well with the brand uh, promise of Clinique, right? The scientific approach to, to skin care and, and how clean it is. So. That's a great story. So in terms of kind of meeting your members' needs, Tony, any story you can tell us about, and you know, financial services are also incredibly personal, right? If something happens, in, in, uh, if a calamity happens and it's an insurance payout or some check is supposed to arrive and it doesn't, it is also incredibly personal. How do you manage that, that respect for your members' personal needs to making sure you are providing the right services. Yeah, I think it's mainly around the idea of reducing pain <laughs> that the that the members feeling as a result of, for example, an insurance claim. We just had a massive freeze down here in Texas that you know I'm sure everybody has heard about. And one of the things that we use the technology to do is to alert members that you know a weather or a catastrophe might be impacting them in advance. And then as that event happens, texting, calling, emailing to let them know, here, click this link to file a claim. And so it's knowing that they are impacted in this situation. They've got a lot going on in their world, their life, their their personal safety. The idea that we would text a member saying, click this if you've had a claim as a result of the you know, the Texas freeze, it makes it easy for them. And then the idea that they can get back to their normal life as quickly as possible with us validating the claim, making sure they get paid in a speedy, reliable fashion so they can get back on with their lives. That, that's why you buy insurance, for example. You, you do it to mitigate risk and then to quickly get back to your you know, life as, as normal. And so that's our focus. We've built that out. And so we're doing technology, not for technology's sake, but to help that process. And so whether it's now you being able to take a picture of your vehicle and 
We are now using AI ML to look at that picture and ascertain what your claim will likely cost, be able to send that to you with an approval so that you can go to a local shop and we don't have to send an adjuster out or a recent partnership that we announced with a competitor that allows our blockchain technology to more quickly resolve claims between two insurance providers so that we don't have to go back and forth over the phone around you know, which company is going to pay the claim. So all of this technology is around servicing our members. We have a really rich innovation story. Again, like I said, the first use of an 800 line, the remote deposit capture, all of these, even use of drones now to take pictures overhead of a home that may have been damaged by hail coverage so that we can get the claim paid sooner. We always want to pay what is owed and do it in a quick and timely manner. I love that in times of stress, what a relief to have that you know, in the, in the back of your mind. One less thing to worry about, let's go with that. So um, I'd like to wrap it up with uh, you know, kind of the, the optimistic view as we slowly reopen at different stages around the co- country and around the world. And you think about your employees and returning into a uh, in life after the pandemic, so to speak. And Michael, maybe I'll pose this to you first. How do you think that employee experience will change? You know, you've put a bunch of tools in place for remote work, right? We're, we're, we're in a very different place than we were 14 months ago. How are you thinking about that employee experience for the future? Well, you know, we've learned a lot from this past year of remote working, and uh, we do plan to leverage those key learnings and considerations to provide employees with a reimagined work experience post-pandemic. You know, the the goal is obviously enabling higher productivity, uh, greater flexibility, you know, and still delivering, uh, you know, extraordinary business results across this organization. So, you know, technology is a key pillar in driving this forward. It's not just, you know, we've kind of went from one extreme to the other, you know, everybody in the office to everybody remote. And I believe that the future is hybrid and technology has to play a key role in that as well as uh, how do you continue to drive inclusivity when, you know, you have one group of employees in the office and somebody else working, working remote. And so I believe that uh, technology is going to be a key component of that. You know, we're working on a much more clear and evolved framework that's going to allow us to to enable the employee experience, both in the office and at home, in a way that, that our employees can be the most collaborative and that we continue to, to amplify the company culture that, that we believe is a competitive advantage for us that builds that connection and community. So Tony, same question for you. How do you see the employee experience uh, after this pandemic? What changes are there? Well, I, I think it's much uh, of what Michael said there. You know, there's going to be folks for us that have to be in the office. Uh, that's still, you know, they're going to have to show up. There'll be folks that'll be hybrid that will spend anywhere from two to five days in the office. And then there'll be employees that can be fully remote. And I think we're trying to make sure that we get what that looks like confirmed. We know that it'll be a rapidly changing environment. We know that we'll be open to more employees maybe not having to be at the home office and being at one of our many hubs that we have around the country. We also are worried about the the culture because now for us, our idea of coming together in a single common location and driving events, driving everything from new employee orientation to 
military holidays and army navy game all these things that we do that are <laughs> play uh, a part of our culture how do we keep those when some of our team members are remote so there'll be a lot of focus on this i think we're going to have to continue to adapt and learn uh, technology will play a role uh, for collaboration tools whether it be zoom or slack or mural or whatever and so people learning how to best use those and then i would say finally and again, Michael said this, so I'm repeating a little bit of what he said, this idea of you can belong and still feel included, whether you're in the office, in the meeting room or on a Zoom. And um, I, I think it's going to, like I said, accelerate this idea of talent being a differentiator because it's going to open up a whole new world to folks that live maybe on the other side of the country that may have never considered working for USA, who may have admired our brand or wanted to work here, but they live in Montana or New York City and didn't necessarily want to relocate their family. So I, I think um, I'm leaving this pandemic, or at least this phase of it, with an extreme amount of optimism around um, how our people have endured and been resilient, but knowing that there's still a lot of journey ahead that's going to require us to stay engaged with our employees, realize that they've gone through a lot and a lot of them are exhausted. And how do we stay engaged to, to keep our, our, our hand on the pulse of that, but extremely optimistic about how employees have responded and, and the road ahead. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to stay very focused on the mission. Well, thank you. Thank you, Tony. Um, and thank you, Michael. What a great conversation. We range from Agility, UDA, so which I wrote that down, Tony, um, to uh, co-creation and kind of that shared vision between IT and the brand to really going back to values and belonging and how we preserve that in a hybrid world. So thank you so much for, for uh, joining us today. Really appreciate the conversation. Thank you, Marika. Thank you. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce platform the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experiences, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.